Welcome to Adopting Zero Trust, an independent podcast that dives into the world of zero trust and tells the story of people who are adopting it. Throughout our series, we'll investigate why zero trust is becoming a critical concept for cybersecurity. Our hosts, Elliot Volkman and Neil Dennis, will have transparent and open conversations with the people driving modern security approaches forward while leaving vendor hype behind. It's time to remove implicit trust and buzzwords and get to the root of the movement. All right, everybody. So thank you so much for joining us. We are at our first initial episodes of Adopting Zero Trust, or as we will be continuing to call this AZT. It is a podcast, obviously, about adopting zero trust. Part of our goal here is really to be an independent voice where we're chatting with folks like our guest here, Andrew, to really get a better understanding of what zero trust is. So today, if you do a quick Google search, first few pages, you're going to mostly see vendor information. And that's great. They play a key role in adopting zero trust. But at the end of the day, we want to talk to practitioners who are actually implementing it, having conversations with peers, um, and really just being able to help guide uh, other individuals who are going to be in those same set of shoes. Obviously, on the US side, the federal government has instituted in the next two years, they want to move towards a zero trust model. And we're seeing things like just this past week, which at time of recording is just this past week, NIST has put out a new concept for a framework that they want open for public opinion. So we're seeing more and more organizations like this come to the table, and it's just becoming very much more real. But that's enough on my end. I'm just the guy who helps put this together. I'd love to get our two actual voices here doing most of the talking. So Andrew, I'm actually going to kick this to you. Uh, I absolutely love your background and I don't want to destroy what I see on LinkedIn. So I'm going to let you give me the spiel and we'll dig a bit more into your story. Yeah, yeah, sure. Thanks for that. And so, yeah, it's great, great to be with you guys today. So thanks for having me along. And yeah, it's looking, I've been looking forward to having a chat for ages. So it's great to be here. Yeah, I guess the zero trust thing for me, I've always been in IT for a long time, not always in security, but what's really been the main interest for me has always been strategy and business alignment. So when Zero Trust came along, the more I learned about it, and I've always been more of a student of the tr traditionalists around Zero Trust, like the NIST and the CISA and the CIS and all the sort of non-partisan, non-vendor, I guess, theoretical versions of, of what Zero Trust should be. So the more I read about that from that perspective without the vendor spin on it, the more interested in it I got and the more I could see a, a straight line between what business needs to grow and secure itself and protect itself from threats and what zero trust had to offer so that's the thing for me that's really attracted to me it to me initially and now as i say the more stuff that comes out and even in the us i follow it quite closely and the philosophies and the evolution of what nist is putting out there it seems to be really on point for me about driving businesses forward and aligning that security and business goal. absolutely yeah i think that is a fantastic outlook because at the end of the day again most people are going to run into conversations with vendors and their perception, but there's just so much more out there and it's a little bit under the top layer, so to speak. But before we get more into your story background, Neil, I'm going to make you reintroduce yourself at least for the first dozen episodes and probably another hundred more. Obviously, we have episode one where people are going to get to know you, but what's your background? What is a Mr. Co-host here doing and learning about Zero Trust? Yeah, I'm along for the ride. So uh, for those tuning in, you miss our little fun intro slide that we do as episode zero here. I'm literally approaching this from a technologist perspective. I'm an Intel analyst. I strive to learn new things. I try to keep my technology background in focus with cybersecurity demand and figure out where things are growing, what they might be doing, where they've lagged behind. And so for me, 
coming from that perspective, I am genuinely curious about fact or fiction or middle road reality of what zero trust really is today versus kind of, Andrew, you already mentioned this lightly. You saw it in the past, probably before the term was even really coined, but the concept of what it really implies to do things. So that's where I'm at. I'm really curious about what we've already done before we started coming up with the new phrases for all this stuff and where we might be going courtesy of the new marketing spiels and things like that and the mandates that are coming out globally. Yeah. Holistic approach, very technology focused, pure cur curiosity play. So thanks for enjoying it with us, Andrew. And I look forward to the rest of the conversation, man. For sure. Awesome. So yeah, we're going to basically just throw a few questions your way, but otherwise this conversation will just go wherever it ends up going. But that being said, you have obviously a background working with some pretty large technological back organizations, and now you're more the utility side of the world. So you've seen probably the flavors left and right as far as like how vendors approach things versus practitioners and internal. But I love just your general take on zero trust. Like when it first came across your desk, what did that look like to you? Was it, is this too good to be true or yeah, what was that? To me, it looks, it seems to be an umbrella that all good decisions fit under nicely. Like we've all people who have been in security over a number of years, even Neil, you mentioned the, the analytics side and all of that. And that I have a massive amount of respect for people with those skills, but that's one sort of slice of the one vertical, the whole cybersecurity thing. And then you've got your identity stuff and your devices stuff. So to me, it feels like we're all out there doing our, our sort of vertical of security to protect the organization, but zero trust in the, in its purest sense and the way it was designed as a philosophy, I think is that sort of overarching umbrella that fits across all of that. And you can line it all up and give it some direction and give it some apply end states and target goals and business strategy alignment to what we're all out there doing individually or in silos previously. So that to me is where it's at. And that's why I like the NIST stuff. That's why I focus on it heavily as a business tool rather than a security tool. I look at it as a way to protect the business, to make better decisions, better security decisions, but based on your business's assets. So that's why I think when a vendor comes along and we spoke before about RSA and every second vendors don't trust, do trust, maybe trust, zero trust, you know, all that stuff. So uh, beware vendor bearing gifts, I say, because <clears throat> unless anyone knows your environment and what you're trying to achieve, they, they can't come in and by magic drop a zero trust solution and off they go. Yeah, I think on that note, the solutioning concept for me, that's, that's an interesting one because you have all these larger companies that have been around for a while that have done some kind of implementation around various degrees of security, whether it's Gateway security, the new EDR, XDR mm. concepts, all that stuff, left middle, all that stuff. And now everybody's slapping the word trust something on, on it, right? Yep. One way or another. And I think hindsight for me is there's not a magic bolt to anything ever, right? And if you're buying one, you're probably buying the wrong tools or you're going to be upsetting a lot of people downstream in security stack. Yeah, but yeah, that being yeah. said, thinking about more of a holistic approach and piecemealing the zero trust concept together with multiple vendors, instead of trying to rely on a single solution, yeah. I'm curious, that approach and that thought mechanization. Yeah, I think that's where it comes back to understanding your assets. Like a Windows 10 laptop is a Windows 10 laptop, and you can apply a million different vendors' products to that laptop to do a million different things. But at the end of the day, you've got to decide as an organization what you want that device 
to do production-wise, productivity-wise, and what posture you want it to hold security-wise. So if you're in a, obviously, if you're in a government role, you've got to have a higher level of security around data and various bits. If you're just using that laptop to sign people on at the front desk, then that's a different concept. I think that's where the beauty of it is that if you understand what your business goals are, then you'll pick the right product and the right vendor to, to get to that outcome. Because I've seen many times over the years that companies what they think they want to do is totally, they bring in a vendor because they want to buy a horse. And then when the vendor's left, they've got a camel and they don't know how to ride it. You've got to make sure that the vendor's giving you your solution to your target, not the other way around. Yeah, that's no joke. I think that's just words live by across the entire security stack and product requirements. I know we got a list of things to think about here, but on that note, you mentioned loosely requirements in a roundabout way, right? So thinking of from an Intel analyst perspective, I don't like to do my job either government side or private sector side without an actual requirement, plural, mapped out yeah. somewhere. Whether I'm sitting at the tactical level or the strategic level or somewhere in between, I like to be able to map things out to both the actual risk inside the organization mm -hmm. I'm supporting, understand the threat verticals, but then map that out to leadership, what they understand around risk and dollar signs, right? The, the actual dollar value. So I think yeah. that's a good point. You need to make sure you're not buying a camel when all you really need is a poodle. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Today, yeah, maybe yeah. you still yeah. need the camel for something larger in six months, but if you haven't really yeah. mapped it out, you yeah. got the wrong yeah. saddle. Exactly. Yeah, that's it. And then that's the other problem that we probably all see as well, that you kick off a project, you think you want to do something, you get pretty close to it, you deliver it, and then everyone goes home, but then someone's got to come along and operate it and clean up the mess. And, and then no one's, no one's built an operating model. So I talk about, we do network impact assessments to check bandwidth in the old days and all that kind of stuff. New stuff like an, operate, uh, an operational impact assessment has to be done. So you're putting in this product, who's going to operate it? Have you got the headcount? Have you got the skills? Are you going to create 100 more service desk tickets a day because the process is rubbish? All that stuff. So that's, a, and again, part of the zero trust thing, which is the beauty of it, that you can fit it to your organization. You might say, we've got a bunch of really smart guys who do a lot of open source stuff, write a lot of their own codes, do their own cloud DevOps stuff so we can morph our environment in the zero trust context to support our strengths, which is that in, in another environment, what you might have a different skill or a different philosophy around how you treat stuff. And I think the risk question is a very important one because, again, that varies some like financial institutions. Obviously, they all understand business risk, but the financial risk and organizational risk and reputational risk are very important. But for other organizations, it might be the risk of ransomware or a loss of production or, or something else. So that risk is so varied across different organizations as well. And it's all stuff you need to understand when you're sitting down to do zero trust. I think it's all outcomes and where do we want to get to? How do we want to operate? What are our strengths? All that stuff. Yeah. Your, your analogy, I think when you were chatting with Chase Cunningham, I think it was you wouldn't use a hammer to bake a cake. And obviously you <laughs> yeah, yeah. kick out of that. I love that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, At the it. end of the day, it's, it can't be about tools and technology. No. You know, yeah. So I think the take that you have is focusing on the business alignment as a huge element of adopting mm. zero trust. Um, so I think from my end, I'm totally curious internally, where did that conversation start? So obviously there's interest on your end knowledge, but yep. you know, is it top to bottom? Is there, what was the buy-in process like? So I think that's where people like me, architects and strategy people and security people in general, with when it comes to introducing zero trust to your organization, sometimes need to be a bit creative because in my experience, mm -hmm. the people who understand it and want zero trust don't necessarily have the seniority to fund it and approve it. And the people who do have that seniority don't necessarily understand it. There's the, 
there's a way to introduce it. And one of the things that one of my pet peeves are security people just spinning out buzzwords to try and impress, maybe not impress people about how clever they are, but I present it as a security concept and people's eyes roll back in their head because I'm big on translating the security stuff into the business language because business leaders are hired to run the business. They understand the business language. So you need to make the effort to articulate your strategy in a language that resonates with them. So I think, but to get back to the creativity bit. So for me, we had invested in an identity platform to, to manage identity. So I, I didn't come in as a, his zero trust. I came in as his an identity operations strategy. And then from mm -hmm. there, it morphed out. And other people might have really good network controls or SASE or something like that. And then you can go in that way and say, look, we've just heavily invested in this network thing. I don't think we're fully leveraging our investment. There's some zero trust concepts I'd like to apply. This is what I reckon. And then you can, like that creativity can then let you spread out. So I might talk to the device guys about how this network thing that I'm planning impacts devices and you just go from there. So you're doing almost zero trust by stealth. But again, it comes back to that. It's basically just good decisions and good security. That's happens to be called zero trust sometimes. So you kind of hit on something in my bailiwick a little bit and around collaboration internal in particular yep. in this element. Coming from your side of the fence as well a little bit, I've definitely done my fair share of manipulating in a polite way, the chains that be and the lines that be to try to get buy-in from a lower echelon before the leadership realizes what's happening. Uh, yeah. Maybe not necessarily be the best approach. If you're in charge of doing something to keep something secure, the people at the end of the day that have to respond to whatever it is that you're creating alerts around or creating work around, those are the ones that you really need to get your buy-in from. And then hopefully the leadership follows along. And in a lot of situations, it's always nice to go top down in these types of structures, but sometimes yeah. bottom up is a good approach. So collaborate, yeah. coordinate, and then take over the office space. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I think that's a very good approach as well, because if you go to someone senior that's going to approve a budget for the next financial year or whatever, the first thing they're going to say is who else is on board with this or who have you run this past? But to your point, Neil, what, exactly what you just said, if you've got been through the device guys, the network guys, the cloud guys, and everybody's on the same page, then it's got a lot more legs straight up than you just saying, oh, here's my latest idea. Let's do this. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And I think uh, once again, from an Intel perspective, again, from my side of the fence. That's a unique posture to be in from an mm. Intel analyst side, trying to help promote these things. So nugget for anybody who has an Intel analyst on their team or someone playing at one, get them involved in these processes sooner than later. Let mm. them help you map out risks, both top yeah. to bottom. And they can be a good point of education to the teams as a whole and help message out what needs to be messaged out. But on that same vein, mm. the collaboration element, you start talking to someone about how to make their life less complicated. Yeah. And next thing you know, when an event kicks off, they're there helping make your life less complicated, right? With the tool. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. Yourself. Yeah, yeah. And I think that analytics side that you've mentioned there is absolutely core cool because one of the drivers for all of us, when <clears throat> we all start our zero trusts on, on the obvious ones, identity device network, blah, blah, blah. But the holy grail for it is to move from incident response and reactive incident management to proactive and real-time analytics. And that's where the EDR, XDR, that, that telemetry. And to me, I see a lot of the value in Zero Trust is building that bridge between that real-time analytics and telemetry information and response to incidents and threats and the business 
and saying, look, <clears throat> this stuff is our goals. This is our real-time knowledge about what's going on in the environment. And we just need to build a structure around it and put some controls in place and some processes under the Zero Trust banner that, that really bring that to the centre of what we're doing. So yeah. that, that's a big thing for me. Is And again, that, that language of the business in the old days, you had the developers in one corner of the room and the Unix guys in a different corner of the room and IT off not talking to either of them, then the business somewhere else and everybody and nobody knew what each other did, but you just hoped it came together at some stage. But these, no, that, that doesn't cut it anymore. We've all got to understand the business. And we've all got to be able to speak to business leaders and I know in the US I think there's a rule coming in isn't there about direct board directors have to have cyber security knowledge so that's going to accentuate that as well yeah. that'll need to continue on. It's focused on some key elements that slipped into the omnibus bill but yeah it's a seed planted that's going to grow probably across the board regardless but it's very oh, fixated right, okay. on critical infrastructure and key resource pieces that we define over here yeah, yeah. 14 I don't remember how many industry verticals but electric and power energy sector um, yeah, financial yeah, okay. services, things like that. So if you're in those, congratulations, you do have a legal requirement to have someone on your board that speaks cybersecurity. Oh, yeah. so, you, so you bring up a point going from reactive to proactive. And so you touched on this a little bit already, but if you got, if you think there's something to expound upon how zero trust a little bit more takes you from that, where the core competency allows you to bridge that gap and do that more specifically. Yeah, I think that a bigger part of it is around, and again, it comes back to how it all ties together. So for example, if you've matured your identity section of Zero Trust and you've got a good handle on your organizational roles, we've defined a bunch of identity types where I am non-human and human. So yeah, I think if you can define, and that's another thing I'm big on is the apply organizational roles to non-human identity. So define their scope, apply the identity compartmentalization to the network segmentation concepts as well. So all of that comes together in terms of being able to limit what a compromised credential can do, where they can get to, or even in normal operation, what they can get to as well. Once you've defined that, you can then link that into your device management, your XTR, EDR thing. So you're looking for that anomalous behavior where you go, look, this identity hasn't tried to connect to this thing in the last eight months of operation, and now it is. So that's the real the proactive vibe that you can pick up from a good zero trust environment, where it's not overly a bunch of complex tools it's more philosophy business principles and stuff around and that's stuff that should just apply anyway when you hire someone you should have a good idea what you hire them to do or if you're buying a new truck or buying a factory you should have an idea what you want it to do yeah so one more quick curiosity then on that note so you talked about identity access control obviously which is a very big key component but do you see the whole passwordless security movement and the way it ties into zero trust competencies, and we've got this whole heuristic approach to access control management within that's growing momentum. I talked about on the pre-call here a little bit about Gartner and all the zero trust companies that are there. But oddly enough, I did see a decent amount of people talking about the whole passwordless environment. I think there's, I think Google corporate, I could be wrong. I thought I read an article about Google corporate starting to field this passwordless environment in a test phase at their corporate mm. office. Um, yeah. Apple actually just announced biometrics related stuff so that users can move towards a uh, passwordless as well. Yeah. There was actually this kind of weird Twitter thread that popped up over the last couple of days where people were like, I think. In a perfect world, it sounds like people would love it, especially on the hype for the user side, because they don't have to remember passwords. They don't have to use password mm. managers. But in the U.S., and I don't, I don't know how this impacts uh, outside of the U.S., but obviously passwords are protected under law and privacy policies, but biometrics are not. So I think that opens its own kind of weird worms here in the U.S. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. I agree. I think that it's a good example of one of those concepts where the technology gets ahead of the 
cultural willingness to adopt it kind of thing from a technology point of view like you just touched on Elliot, it makes sense and it works definitely but from a cultural point of view people are a bit like oh what no more passwords after we've been using passwords for 30 years or 40 years or whatever it's a bit to get their head around yeah i think there's a and, and, and just on the, the biometrics as well there's some sort of trepidation i think from general users and the public around that biometrics and who has access to my facial recognition and where does it go and, and also i guess the new concept is the decentralized identity stuff that that is out in the market as well i'm very keen to see where that goes and how that manifests in 18 months time kind of thing where that goes so i'll say one more thing on this once again the perspective of <clears throat> having a heuristic learning algorithm based off of a user profile is extremely intriguing and scary mm -hmm. all in the same vein yeah. we're talking about more than just like a fingerprint and a facial recognition when we think about what passwordless security is trying to imply and i yeah. think we saw the antithesis of this, the network defense model of this, maybe probably 10 mm. plus years ago, where companies were trying to come out and fingerprint your user base, but not use it for direct authentication, but use it for the trust models, use it to define, hey, this user hasn't logged into this server in, in eight months. So this is all precursor to zero trust in my brain, yeah. um, but define what the user's activities are, even define how they hit the keyboard, right? Yeah. And make this fingerprint of a digital fingerprint of a day in the life of someone in that seat. And then when that fingerprint moves from here to another system or when that fingerprint changes from that solution, being able to flag things, what you're talking about in general, zero trust constructs here, yeah. at least from my perspective, I think a unique, fascinating growth curve in what we were doing 10 plus years mm. ago to try to stop a threat actor from taking over your laptop and usurping your Google profile or whatever it was, Microsoft yeah. Office back in the day. Yeah, uh, for so sure. Kind of yeah, curious no, I think... about that. I yeah, yeah. No, I think you, that's a really good point. And it just didn't finish with the machine learning and the AI and all of that. It's not, you have to give it some rules as well. The rules have to be based on what you want your environment to run. It's not like data or Star Trek where you just turn it on and it works it all out for itself and makes all these brilliant decisions and stops the ship from blowing up. You've got to give it some basic rules to follow to make decisions at the moment anyway. Obviously, it'll evolve over time. But yeah, I think that's definitely something to consider. And again, vendors will tell you, oh, just use AI or machine learning to do all this. And so, yeah, okay, not quite as simple as that, but yeah. It's another one of those adages again, what's old is new again, because I remember in 2000, was it 2006, 2007 was when the whole rootkit thing really kicked off. And uh, we had people accessing your BIOS chipsets and all this other stuff to install all of these persistent BS things. They were whatever they were, but uh, from APT before it was defined APT to just some kid in a basement that just realized he could hack a chip, right? Yeah, um, whether yeah, it was your yeah. GPU, whatever. But all that to say is the machine learning, natural language processing capabilities that we have today, moving it back even further than just that heuristic fingerprint of a user. In 2007 and eight, we had rootkit discovery and the whole concept was based off a of heuristic learning, right? Yeah. So building core competency, I think maybe starting on that level historically, mm. and then that turned into figuring out how to fingerprint a user to keep a bad guy from usurping that profile, which is now built into helping you and I potentially just do our day-to-day -day livelihood without having to have 5,000 passwords and 20,000 yeah. browser tabs open. So you remember where you're at. Yeah, yeah. I think that that's a big thing. And one of the things I talk about is transparent security. So I think that 
I don't think zero trust should be pushed as a security control thing. I think the, the security should be transparent so it's applied and the security people and the people responsible know it's being applied and traffic's assessed and all that. But from a user's point of view, they're just doing their work. They don't see the security like in the old days where people complain constantly about, oh, I can't do anything and can't access this, can't do my job. So that that's the evolution. I, I like to think of zero trust as like a, like a new payroll system or whatever. The CEO comes in and says, we're going to invest in this new payroll system. You're all going to get paid more efficiently your holidays are going to be recorded and everyone buys into it and it's done across the organization just as a thing so i think that's where zero trust has to be as well just an organizational thing that everyone buys into and that's helped by not pushing it as a here's a new security thing we're going to do yeah cool. so actually building on that and obviously with your background in it i'm curious how that plays a role so you can technically enter zero trust into an organization in a dozen different places but from what most organizations, Forrester, Gartner, they'll throw out IAM and identity IDP as a good entry point because you do your risk management, your risk profiling, and then you build an inventory of all of your assets, devices, and people. Where in your mind do you, again, you might lean towards that, but is that the ideal place or should you look at what your most active priority projects are and mm. try to adopt zero trust into that? So does it make sense to have a foundation or go after what you're already needing to go after? Yeah, I think that it does. So I think that at least up to this point, the problem that Zero Trust has had is being able to demonstrate value and return on investment in organisations. So I think one of the reasons why Forrester and big companies say identity is because everybody's got them. So a good Zero Trust project to me is one that spends the first year even demonstrating value, decluttering the environment tuning processes, doing more with less, saying like this guy, this process has currently taken us 12 hours or two days to do. We can apply different controls and different processes and do them half that time. So I think that's, to me, if you invest, not invest, if you start with identities, devices and connectivity and make, and particularly in connectivity, identity aware network controls rather than firewalls and stuff like that. I think if you start in those three areas they're typically the easiest areas for most organizations because they're already in that space not everyone has a strong cloud footprint with workloads for example not everyone has developed scenes and socks where they've got a good analytics and telemetry and threat protection capability but i think if you can say if you've got an active directory if you start even with your service accounts as one of your non-humans and you tune your service accounts to limit what they can log into eliminate interactive logins that kind of stuff you can demonstrate value straight away and say look the, we've started in the identity space because we've got some and we've done a bit of network stuff and we've tidied up our devices we've tightened up how much stuff runs on them we've improved even our gpos so they're more secure. We've used CIS benchmark scores, all stuff that's readily available to demonstrate value. And then from there, in your second and third year of Zero Trust, you get into your sort of heavier concepts around applications and workloads and stuff. Very cool. So building upon that, I'm curious. So obviously, Zero Trust is not just technology. It's also education and trading. So beyond those questions, which I'll definitely be poking around at. So I'm curious as you're looking at adopting it, be it identity network, wherever that entry point is, what does the resource shift look like? Because obviously there's education, training, technology involved. Should the goal be focused around obviously reducing efforts, automate, but just in general, you know, what does the general scope look like when you're starting to adopt zero trust between education, training, getting other people involved in the process? 
Yeah, I think that it's from <clears throat> for the general users, it goes a bit beyond education training. That's very important, but it's also a cultural thing where mm -hmm. you develop a, a security culture and that's not make everybody able to jump on and do some coding or whatever, but it's make people aware of there's usually a, a, a secure choice to make and a less secure choice. Who do I share this document with? How do I move this document around the network? How do I present information? That kind of stuff. So it's that cultural thing. Um, but then in, internally within the security and I, broader IT teams, I've talked about operating platforms that are operated by security. So like your EDR, XTRs typically can be operated by the SecOps team or whatever. And the other side of that is operating platforms securely. So if you have an EUC team that might operate things like Intune or some device management portal, they're not security people. They're not necessarily in the security team, but they they have a platform that where the security posture of the devices, which is at their control, is crucial to the overall security posture. So I think that's where the big resource shift that I think you're talking about comes from, because typically if you, and I've been in EUC before as well, and typically if you're running System Center or Intune, it's all about enablement and productivity and getting apps out to devices and letting people do their job. But these days it's such a focus on security posture and risk as well that you need to understand these are my security capabilities in the platform that I'm operating and these are the better choices I should be making. I should be doing a monthly when there's a new iPhone come out, I should be looking at all the new policies. I should be checking my how many devices are out of compliance, what are my policies, all that stuff. So I think it's not feasible for every platform in the organization to be run by a security person in the security team. So all those platforms that are run outside of security, there needs to be a sort of a gradual evolution to security thinking of how those platforms are operated. So those platforms become operated securely. Yeah, so I think that actually begs the other question, is there a threshold for like team size and capabilities to be able to actually truly adopt zero trust? Is today everything on the market technology wise is definitely positioned towards enterprise or somewhere around enterprise organizations where they have full on IT folks, dedicated security personnel, they have those resources and capabilities. But what does that look like as far as what you've seen? Do you think realistically smaller organizations with less resources can adopt it or if it's just piecemeal? I think most definitely it is suitable to everybody because I think it's contextual to the size of your business. If you're a bank with 100,000 employees, then obviously you've got a different context to if you're a law firm with 30 people with 30 computers. I think that when you look at, and one of the things I love about Zero Trust is that it is a philosophy like TOGAF that you mm -hmm. can bend and customize to what you want to get out of it. So if you're a, an accounting or a law firm that's got 30 people, you should certainly look at Zero Trust <clears throat> Pardon me, because you don't need to invest heavily in a uh, let's go out and buy a new Palo network bit of kit or whatever. You can just make better decisions. Make let's harden up our endpoints or let's refine our processes or let's tune up our Active Directory or whatever we've got. So they're all zero trust controls that you can put in, and they may get you to the threshold of where you need to be in in how your business operates. So it's not about investing a bunch of a bunch of money in new technology or platforms or hiring a bunch of security people. It's about just making it fit right for your organisation, so everyone can do it. I think. Yeah, I think that's the biggest point there is it doesn't necessarily have to cost you more money, but it can save you money long term. Exactly. Yeah, um, at sure. scale of economics. Mm. And so let's get coming. I have a consultative background. I used to work for a really large consultancy firm for several years after I got out of the military. And uh, one of the things I loved about the firm I was at, we didn't try to find new problems to make more money. We tried to find new problems that need to be solved simply to do it. Yeah. And yeah. sometimes there's money that goes along with it. And I think that what you just mentioned from a 
from a scale of economics perspective, the a rather robust amount of people, especially in that SMB space, you know, that small business side, don't need to go out and spend even five grand or 50 or 500,000 to get to the concept of zero trust. They just need to have one semi-intelligent person on the team that understands what it means to do security the right way. Exactly. And pick that up, like you mentioned, as an idea, not as a financial burden. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. For sure. <clears throat> yeah. And it's all about the context as well of who you deal with, how you operate, how you, what information you have. And again, all the concepts of we have credit card information for customers, we have merger and acquisition information, we have, we or we don't have that. So it's all about understanding your business in the, to me, identities, all that, they're all digital assets, just like physical assets in the old days of buildings and desks and computers. So you've just got to inventory all your digital assets and <clears throat> make sure they're protected. So it's exactly what you've just described. So. <laughs> Yeah, hopefully it's easy for some people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's it. I was just going to say, talking about investing with vendors, and I was just RSA, like all the vendors will say, we've got a zero trust solution, but they're obviously, some are strong in the network space, some are strong in the identity space, some are strong in the operating system space, but they don't typically tend to sit across everywhere, which is where, to you, I think, Neil, you mentioned before that it has to be a mix, which is exactly right, because you can't just go with a vendor. And we flirted with, a vendor's view of what zero trust was. And then when we really kicked and punched it, we realized, well, hang on, that's your view, but that doesn't solve all of our problems. So, yeah. Yeah. That's once again, that's the biggest piece here. So you, RSA versus as a Gartner, like I mentioned last week, instead of RSA, got to avoid that hell of a loo over that RSA and trade it in for Gartner. But <laughs> that being said, like I mentioned on the floor, at least half the vendors out there, whether they were in a tiny little booth or whether they were in the big floor booths, had some mention of something trust related, trying to spin off a zero trust when they didn't really know what it was themselves. So they would say Identitrust is obviously yeah, yeah, a yeah. brand, but it's also a concept. We had people that were literally toting around just no trust, come and learn how to do no trust society or whatever. <laughs> so, like you know, I, I think, <laughs> so I, I think the, the concept of what zero trust is at its core is ironically enough, is still being figured out by the vendors. Hmm. Some are leveraging it as a buzzword so they can try to upsell their current offerings with their new zero trust technology, quote unquote. Yeah. Others are just trying to actually approach the problem and provide to your point, a chunk of the solution. But yeah. nobody that I'm personally aware of can effectively map out the entire security or the security structure and mapping of all your assets and things that you need to do that yeah. you, know, you can bring in a consultant that does a lot of that for you and tells you what vendors to bring in if you have the money to do that but you're not going to find a single solution for everything you can find yeah. one guy who does networks very well maybe that's where you start off with stuff like that but using that approach to know you need to piecemeal this together yeah 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 too. you raised a very good point before around the the resource types and the people that play a role like to do zero trust you really need say a good process person you need someone who understands risk you need a good ba you need someone who understands applications and networks and so it's not even like the process and risk people may not be security people per se they may just be a good business process people that can analyze how the it and security processes to respond to incidents currently operate their their output is gold in terms of a proper zero trust strategy as well so you have to be creative you have to be pragmatic as well. I think that's the other problem that people have is sometimes security guys and vendors come in and say, you must do this and you must do that. And I say, no, you must not. You must do what works for you and you must be pragmatic and keep an open mind and get creative because I think yeah. that's where the best solutions are. Creativity and pragmatism mixed together is where the best solutions come from. Agreed. I think you to that point, you really only have two primary options. You either 
realize that your team, even if they're just getting started, is your best resource for anything, not just your team, but the other teams within the company as a whole, mm. wherever they're sitting. If they touch, to your point, you may not be a security guy, but you may touch a digital asset or yeah. a connected asset. Yeah. That person potentially still has a say in how they think that asset can be better. Yeah. And then the other flip side of that is taking the time, if you really want to take a more holistic approach, bring in an actual consultant, not a firm that does zero trust, but mm. a person who understands the concept from the outside in yeah. and can help review that by leveraging your team as well. Yeah. I think there's two core approaches other than just going right out and trusting the first vendor that says zero trust is awesome here. Let me do it for you. Yeah. Take a time to step back and review your options a little bit. Yeah. More. Yeah. For sure. And then back to what we mentioned earlier, work to get buy-in for the people who actually have to do the job. Yeah, yeah. And leverage that culture as well, because even in the old days before Zero Trust came along, we all had similar problems. No vendor is ever going to be as invested in the success of your business or your outcomes as you are, or the process person, or the service desk person, or the CEO, because ultimately there's that, that people are people, right? They're invested in where they work. They want to succeed. They want to do well. So a vendor doesn't have that despite what they might say. So leverage all those resources, all the people that know the lay of the land and where the bodies are buried, get them involved and get that information because that's the key. Yeah, exactly. So spot on. So change of direction just a tiny bit. So I know that you've got the lovely, probably only piece of paper that would say you're a true zero trust professional, which a forester provides just morbid curiosity what was that like would would you recommend that experience to other folks yeah i don't know how i might be on shaky legal ground but i thought that certification (laughs) i thought it went away for a while and now i was on a forester website i'm actually talking at a forester event later in the year and it seems to have come back again so there is yeah i did the forester zero trust strategist certification and i really liked it actually because the main thing i liked about it is that it it's the forest view is all about risk, right? So for mm-hmm. me, that was a good sidestep into an area I hadn't really explored as much in my career. So they talk about for every dollar you invest in a zero trust project, this is the return in a, to move the risk needle lower, that kind of stuff. So it was all about justifying the spend on zero trust projects by reducing the organizational risk. So it was really good. It talked about how to deal with the board, how to present things up. So I learned a lot from it. I thought it was fantastic. And in fact, it was probably the main thing that's, that clinched my love of zero trust and interest in it. So I do highly recommend it. I think that I think that the NIST stuff is Puritan about zero trust concepts with their domains and their principles and tenants and all that, which is brilliant. I think the Forester is a great complement to that because of the risk focus. And I think the Gartner stuff is great as well for that sort of this is what the market is doing and this is what you need to consider in the real world kind of thing. And then obviously your vendor bits on top. So. Yeah, very much. I'm curious, are there any other organizations that you've seen that have done a good job of packaging up with being more vendor neutral platform agnostic elements like that? Like cloud security Alliance is obviously out there doing their thing open. uh, I think they have a zero trust, program that they have in place and it's been up and running, but what kind of resources would you throw out to folks who are, again, just trying to look at adopting zero trust and kind of meet to where you're at today? 
Yeah, so I think what we touched on is you need to understand what you want to achieve clearly in your head and have it written down and then you can bring in vendor products and stuff to achieve that but so when i wrote the strategy for where i am i looked at obviously nist cis have done a lot of work they've got the 18 controls or i i can't remember what's eight or 18 but they've got a bunch of controls around it cisa and then yeah the cloud the cloud alliance as well as in their forester gartner so i guess Start with those ones, the John Kindervag stuff, Chase Cunningham, they're both guns, obviously fathers of Zero Trust, so read all their gear. Chase has got plenty of stuff out there on the internet, so not short of content. And uh, yeah, follow up with that and then try and stay away from uh, the vendor stuff until you feel that you understand what you want to achieve with Zero Trust and what it means to you uh, and, and then talk to you. Obviously, we've all got vendors that we deal with, no matter whether you're big or small, there's usually a few of the same suspects start talking to them but don't lead in with oh we want to get into zero trust can you explain it to us because yeah i'll explain yeah, and i think you hit the nail on the head yeah yeah neil and i both work in this space and deal with sales folks so we can sling the mud and take it back our way but i think bringing vendors into any conversation at that earlier stage tend to be a bit of a mistake there are some that can probably walk you through it they might have experts and consultants on staff but Again, I think the resource that you threw in front of folks is probably the right direction. And then making sure, again, business need and business alignment there is there first. Do the research and then start having those conversations. Yep. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's definitely there to coach you into how to use their product. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I think that's the other thing to bear in mind is as you start to learn about zero trust and look at the domains that identity devices, information network, I, I, yeah, I... I I've evolved it even in our organization, so I don't call it data, I call it information for a specific reason. I don't call it networks, I call it connectivity for a specific reason. And then your, your telemetry and analytics and all that stuff that you layer over the top. When you sit down and look at a cloud application, you go, well, is it workload or is it networking or is it identity? You've got to understand what that means and where those delineation points are for your organization based on your processes. So again, it's boring mapping out all those processes and assets and, but you've really got to know it to make smart decisions. Otherwise, you end up like with the camel, like we talked about before. No, who wants to learn how to ride a camel when there's horses everywhere? <laughs> <laughs> the only other thing I'll say is to keep an eye out on the internet. There's, I know I'm personally involved in a couple of things that are coming up around zero trust cool. groups and meetups that are about to kick off. Look for those LinkedIn groups. Look for groups where you get impartial advice from other people that are going through the journey, going through exactly what we've just talked about for the last hour about where do I start? How do I get involved? And look out for any of those sort of resources you can get your hands on, watch the podcast, watch the demos, go to the conferences and then use that to help build the picture in your mind. I'll add to that slightly. If you're US-based or at least affiliated EU-US, get involved in the ISAC and ISAL world as well. That's wonderful mm -hmm. reference points. If you're not EU-US or somewhere else where you can get involved in those, I know there's the Australian CERT, for instance, Pokemon. Mm -hmm. Those people like to talk about how to make life better. Most countries have some form of a CERT or some form of government component that's similar to what DHS is attempting to offer from just a free learning environment and a collaborative environment. So I think those are also relatively good resources for whatever neck of the woods you happen to be living in. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Awesome. Very cool. Thank you so much for joining us. I think this is going to be probably one of the best ways that we could kick off this series, your expertise, your educational background. It's definitely where I think a lot of people will want to be in the future. So you're ahead of the game and being able to share that insight with folks is going to be very important. No, great, it, at great. the end of the day, 
Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, Neil and myself were students of this and we're just trying to help facilitate these conversations. But again, thank you so much for joining us and sharing some of that expertise. No worries. Thanks for having me. It's a great chat and really enjoyed it. Thanks, guys. Good luck with the rest of the recordings. Thank you, man. Appreciate it. Cheers, guys. Thanks. Thank you for joining AZT, an independent series. Your hosts have been Elliot Volkman and Neil Dennis. To learn more about Zero Trust, go to adoptingzerotrust.com. Subscribe to our newsletter or join our Slack community. Viewpoints expressed during the show do not reflect the brands, employers, or companies of our hosts, guests, or potential sponsors.